Hello and welcome to the planet today. It is Friday, February 3rd, 2023. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. All right, Nick, follow up from last week's episode. <laughs> what is Aunt Dell's secret to living 100 years on this earth? Yeah, so she said um, that the secret to living a long life is... She had pasta Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays of every week. <laughs> she, that's what she told to our hometown newspaper. Um, they interviewed her like, what's the secret, all this stuff. And um, that's what she said. She said pasta Tuesday, Thursday, Sundays. So everyone asking for the secret, that's it right there. God, I wish we had a follow-up. I would love to know, like, is it the same sauce on Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday? Or does she like <laughs> switch it up? How often are we doing a pesto versus a red sauce? Yes, good, great <laughs> questions. I should have dug deeper, but she's such a straight to the point person. I just was like, okay, I love it. I'll take the answer and I'll and I'll go with it. All right, I'll, I'll make some pasta this weekend. Then I have to now. There you go. And don't let me forget, it's your freaking birthday this Saturday, you son of a gun. Happy birthday! Well, yeah, my my birthday <laughs> is is yesterday. By the time we're recording. Uh, but we are celebrating on Saturday, so I'm excited to hang out with you. It's been a couple months now since December, so we're, we're really reversing the trend of last year where like every time we went to hang out, we had to cancel. We are two for two in the last three months. Let's keep that yeah. streak going. A hundred percent, and I don't want to jinx us now, so I'm going to knock on wood here. Yeah, I'll do the Just same. I'll do the same. prayers that we are both good by four days from now. Sounds like a plan to me. All right, before we <laughs> jinx ourselves too much, let's get into it. Thank you for the birthday wishes and happy belated to Aunt Dell. Uh, yeah, let's do it. For our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by Oliver Millman, who writes U.S. renewable energy farms outstrip 99% of coal plants economically. Study for The Guardian. Good news for fans of renewables out there, of which I would guess if you're listening to this show, you are probably one of those fans. It is now more expensive for 99% of the coal power plants in the U.S. to run than it would be to build an entirely new solar or wind energy operation nearby. Renewables continue to decrease in cost in part thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, which means that it's cheaper to build a brand new renewable power plant than to run all but one of the country's 210 power plants. Boom. Roasted. <laughs> the study analyzed the fuel running and maintenance cost of American coal power and compared it to solar and wind in the same region. So the study analyzed each step of the project in the same area to eliminate any sort of unforeseen variables or gaps in the research. On average, it's about $12 per megawatt hour cheaper to run renewables. So they cost just two thirds of the price of coal. The article points out that renewables have dropped in cost and the IRA is just accelerating this trend. So it's not like the subsidy is making renewables cheaper. 
the subsidy is just helping us get to where we're going to be faster. Coal is responsible for 60% of greenhouse gas emissions from electricity generation and reached its peak in 2007. By 2021, coal output had dropped by 55%, with coal mining jobs decreasing to under 40,000, which is 50% of their peak. Coal usage did see an increase last year due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but overall, coal usage is down substantially. Yeah, and this study is important because most of the coal plants in the U.S. are aging and becoming more expensive to maintain. The article says that many utilities are still deeply invested in coal, and the scale of renewable infrastructure, including energy projects, new transmission lines, and battery and other storage to cope with intermittent delivery, isn't yet strong enough to cause a total shutdown of coal. Yeah, and that to me, it pinpoints exactly why the Inflation Reduction Act was so important with its energy provisions, because like you just said, the article mentions it, wind and solar are intermittent, meaning that when the sun is not shining, we're not producing new solar energy. So at night, there's just a gap. Mm -hmm. If there's no wind, we're not producing more wind energy. So the important thing to me there is something you kind of just mentioned during that last that last line is battery storage, because we need something to offset that delivery. Mm -hmm. We need something for, hey, there's a ton of solar energy produced throughout the day, more than we can consume. Right. Instead of that just kind of being wasted, which it, it can be in some set settings, store it. That way overnight, if anything needs to be running, it's running off that energy reserve. And battery storage is really, really important piece of the puzzle right now that so many companies are investing a ton into research and development for. I really do think that within the next five years or so, battery storage is going to look vastly different than it looks like today. And that's really, really exciting for something like this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is really exciting. And I remember we had a story a couple weeks ago, or maybe even a month ago at this point, about like coal power plants and that a lot of them were not um, expected to close or like didn't have a actual date of closure mm -hmm. um, yet. And now to see we're at the point where renewables is actually cheaper, like two thirds of the price of coal is such an awesome place to be. And really, you got to be hopeful for the future with this news. This is fantastic. Yeah, and this is the sort of stuff that I also find just really important. Like this study quantifies something that people really care about. You know, at the end of the day, there are people who are really interested in renewable energy, but they're not going to care. They're not going to mm -hmm. want to implement it in their own lives unless, you know, it, it saves money for them personally. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with that thinking. Like your primary goal is to put food on your table and feed yourself and your family. Right. And if you can do that while also helping the planet, and in this case you can, it's, it's $12 per megawatt hour cheaper to run on renewables, then, then what's the downside, right? Like what's the drawback? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. There's, there is no downside here. You have to Look for cheaper alternatives if you're on if you're on a budget and what a perfect place to look. No better than renewables. Yeah, it's great when the good option is is both morally good. Yeah, yeah, it's like morally good and good for your wallet. There's no drawback here. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's get into our next story here from Ad Crable of the Bay Journal News Service, who writes 
Oaks are dying at record rates across Chesapeake region. If you live in the mid-Atlantic U.S., between Pennsylvania, Virginia, or Maryland, you may have noticed oak trees losing their leaves, dropping dead branches, and just decaying. This is the cause of an ongoing investigation, as no single or predominant cause has been found as to why the oak tree decline is occurring. But forest managers have launched efforts to nurse survivors and to replace the dead oaks in the meantime. This is concerning for wildlife and forest ecosystems, as oaks are known to be the most beneficial trees for wildlife in the region. This is also an issue due to the loss of commercial value for oak wood, since dead wood cannot be harvested. There are roughly 20 oak species in the Chesapeake region. Acorns from the trees feeding more than 100 species of mammals, and the trees themselves provide a habitat for migratory songbirds and the insects that they feed on. Yeah, so the the too-long-didn't-read summary, oaks are really important to this region. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very old trees, they're native trees, they're really important. So the fact that so many of them are dying off right now, it's cause for concern for a lot of reasons that Nick just outlined. The article says that the oak decline is accelerating and that the causes are complex and cumulative. They include extreme weather from climate change, above-ground and subterranean diseases, insects, and the current infrequency of fires that oaks have evolved to tolerate, which ends up giving them a competitive advantage in post-fire environments. Experts believe that more intense weather from climate change is the main culprit, but they're still working to confirm this theory. The changing climate means more heavy rain events drench the roots, cutting off their oxygen. Trees weakened that way are more vulnerable to diseases such as root rot, and insect infestations. Aside from rains, drought will cause trees to lose moisture and invite other pathogens to invade. So this all sounds very alarming. We do want to provide some good news for the recovery. The U.S. Forest Service just launched the White Oak Initiative, which is actually driven in part by the spirits industry because that entire industry depends heavily on white oak wood for aging barrels. Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Maryland will all be participating in the effort which aims to nurture oak trees in both public and private forests. Yeah, this is a this is a rough one. And like it's crazy to me that that last line about the spirits industry coming in and launching an initiative uh it makes complete sense. Like a lot any bourbon you're drinking is aged in American new oak. Mm -hmm. So like to me, that's just so crazy. It's like the perfect capitalism example. Like something that makes us money, that's what we're going to focus on. That's like our, that's our hook and ladder to say like, oh, we need to save this part of our ecosystem. Yeah. And I think part of that can be attributed to like, we feel that impact on a day to day, right? You know, people who are producing bourbon, they're going to see the costs go up if there's less available oak wood. And then the people who are consuming that, they're going to see that price increase reflected at the end of the day when they go to buy it. So I think those are issues that you kind of can like see and maybe not quantify, but you can like feel it more on your day to day than something that's just like, you know, the trees are dying off. So there's less migratory birds in the area because they're not landing on those trees and eating the insects. Mm -hmm. So part of it, yeah, you're right. You know, it sucks that it takes loss of money for people to care about things. But I, th I think part of it could also just be that's kind of the first thing that we, we actually see unless you're out 
frequently in nature. Right. Listening to birds or like observing stuff through binoculars or researching the area. Um, you know, it's more, I would say it's more like the people facing issue rather than yeah. it's just about money, but money's a big, a big factor here. Yeah, absolutely. So one important thing to bring up is another goal for forest managers. They want to promote more diverse forests so that oak die-offs like this one don't leave this huge treeless gap in the woods where normally it would just be oaks. If you're planting more trees that work well together in the same ecosystem and can kind of provide similar or the same ecosystem services, the forest as a whole will flourish. And if there's a disease that's going to wipe out one species, it doesn't wipe out the whole forest. Yeah, makes complete sense. All right. We are going to take a quick break. When we get back, we got two more quick hits for you to send you into the weekend. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And next up, over $500 million in tax revenue expected from 800 megawatt Ohio solar project by PV Magazine's Ryan Kennedy. From oak trees right before the break to the Oak Run solar project, this project is open to public hearing for a comment on approval from the Ohio Power Sitting Board. It would create over 3,000 construction jobs and generate $504 million in tax revenue over its lifespan. 60% of that tax revenue would fund local school districts. This project would be the largest solar facility in the nation and would require a $1 billion investment, which also includes 300 megawatts of Tesla battery energy storage. Over 200 comments have already been submitted with a public hearing scheduled for April 11th at 5 p.m. In an effort to prove the value of this project to Ohioans, the revenue brought in through solar has been compared to some of the other options for the land usage. The price of corn would need to be $21.31 per bushel, and 462.6 bushels per acre would need to be grown by 2056 for corn to bring in more money than solar here. I know what you're thinking because I was thinking this when I was writing up that summary. I have no frame of reference here, so I don't know how much, I don't know how much that is. Like, yeah. I buy corn, but I buy it in a couple of years, not bushels. Yeah. 
Corn is currently being sold at $5.45 per bushel. So we're talking like four times as much cost to make it worth putting corn in instead of solar. In terms of bushels per acre, it's over double. Right now it's it's 210 bushels per acre. And like I said before, we would need 462.6 bushels per acre to be grown in order to make corn the more economic option here for Ohio. Right. Yeah, that's, I don't know if that's going to happen unless inflation comes in and just ruins everything, but yeah, it just ruins corn, yeah. cornflation, <laughs> cornflation. Another option is to grow soybeans, which would need to increase from $13 and 10 cents per bushel to $62 and 55 cents per bushel. And bushels per acre would also need to increase by 105. The article says that something we talked about last week, agrivoltaics, could be looked into for this project in the future. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, that that is something that I know last week we talked about it and we were saying, I think you, you brought up like, what is the, the cost of just putting crops on the ground? And, and yeah. here we have it. You know, it's like solar is going to bring in a lot more tax revenue for the public school system than crops alone would. And if in the future, you know, they're at a point where Solar's producing great, you know, it's it's the right economic decision, but hey, we really wish we had some more cropland. Maybe if there's certain crops that are grown throughout the state, you can stop growing those there if they would grow well under solar and put corn or soy there and then put your blueberries, put your, your beekeeping, put your sheep grazing on this oak run solar project where we know that those things can coexist very well, get some dual use here. It might take some restructuring, but like there's no reason to think that if this all goes the way that it could, you know, there's no reason to think that that also wouldn't work out. Also, when you're talking about 504 million in tax revenue, you know, that would go straight to fund local school districts. I think if you're a parent, in in this in the area that's going to be voting for this um, project, how could you not approve that? I mean, that's over three hundred million dollars for your kids going directly to their schools, mm-hmm. programs, all that stuff. Like, that's that's really important. So, kind of a no brainer. Yeah, and it's going to really impact Ohio schools on every level at that point. If you're getting three hundred million dollars, you know, the schools that need new facilities, right, like a new basketball court or yeah a new football field, something like that, that can be funded through this. Those are all important, but those are some of the things that I think a lot of parents vote on anyway. Yeah. The money that, that this is producing could also go towards the things that sometimes parents that are voting on, on school budgets won't approve of. So your teacher salaries, teachers across the country deserve to be paid far more than they are. Preach. And yeah, like not only will this Preach. pay teachers what they're worth, this will also attract people who maybe don't have that same drive. You know, some people are saying that teaching doesn't pay me what I'm worth. Mm-hmm. I'm not valued as much as I could be, but educating students is worth it to me. Some people might not have that same drive and they'll say, you know, I can't do this because the pay is low. Yeah. Here's tax revenue that can help you increase teacher salaries for the existing teachers increase it for new teachers coming in and, and bring in the best pool of teachers available, which helps your kids get into a better college, 
which helps your kids who aren't going to go to college learn trades like all around. It's just better to have more school funding and $300 million sounds like a pretty good start. Exactly. Completely agree with what you said. Um, The only thing that was a little Brett Favre view was the automatic, I'm going for a stadium, I'm going for a field. (laughs) (laughs) My thought was like, give it to the freaking music kids. Give it to like the, you know, like the theater kids who are always getting their freaking budget just taken away. It's gone. Like there's no music program. I think that was happening um, at our school, like our, the school that we grew up at uh, recently. And like, you have no idea like what your kid's going to end up doing. So just like to leave every option open to them is extremely important. I guess this is a little off track now at this point, but you get what I'm saying. No, I think, I think the intersection of people who care about the environment and people who care about public education is probably like one big circle. I don't really think there's like a Venn diagram here. So, So, you know, we won't spend too much time on it, but I'm assuming everyone here listening is like, yeah, funding education is good. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, no, you're right though. And honestly, like our high school is why I brought up football first. Cause I remember like there was a huge push for the school budget to increase something. We were probably in middle school at the time and it was when they redid our turf. Yeah. Everyone yeah. approved it. The next year it was like, Hey, we want to increase teacher salaries and we want to help create a fund that way they don't have to buy their own school supplies for their students. That got shot down immediately. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that experience is unique to us and our hometown. No, not at all. Yeah, it's very worldwide. All right, let's transition into our last quick hit of the week. And it is from BCC, where Madeline Halpert writes, Biden restores protections to Alaska's Tongass National Forest. We first spoke about the Tongass National Forest on our April 8th, 2022 episode. So here is a positive update for everyone. If you don't remember that story, go swipe down until you get to April 8th. Go check it out or... uh, (laughs) Or don't, but we would prefer the extra listens. (laughs) (laughs) Last week marked a long-awaited victory for the organized village of Kake and other indigenous tribes and environmental groups who petitioned the U.S. Department of Agriculture to reinstate the protections for this forest. Joel Jackson, president of the Kake tribal community, who has lived in the Tongass National Forest for his entire life, said that the Tongass Forest is the key to their survival as a people and to their way of life for thousands of years. The USDA announced last Wednesday it would once again ban logging and the construction of roads for cutting timber in over half of the Tongass. The decision follows a years-long conflict between Alaskan Republican officials and conservationists, indigenous groups, and others who say the measure is key to protecting the environment. Alaska's Republicans argued that the ban has slowed economic development and that renewing it will hamper efforts to connect remote communities by road, among other concerns. Yeah, and that was one of the things that we brought up when we talked about it last April was part of the push here was if you cut protections to the forest, you can put in a road that will make hospitals more easily accessible to some of these remote communities. That's really important. Do not get me wrong. But one of the proposals was to continue protecting the forest and create paths around it, which is it's not as convenient. You know, it's it's not. But. The Tongass is almost 17 million acres large. It's larger than the entire state of West Virginia. It stores 44% of all of the carbon dioxide contained in national forests across the country. 
I'm not going to sit here and say that a road through there wouldn't be convenient. It wouldn't be helpful for the people that live there because it would. But when we're talking about a forest that's this large with almost half of our entire CO2 getting stored there, I I think you got to factor in the importance of this forest in something that's that's not developed, you know, by maintaining it as a pristine forest, it has far more value than what we could have with a road there. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you have to just this is a situation where you have to put convenience in the back seat and say like listen, this is not worth what we're going to have to do in order to make this, you know, or to put roads in and, you know, to make this more easily accessible. Mm-hmm. 44% of the entire country, that's like literally a non-negotiable, I think. You have to say that's a non-negotiable. Yeah. 44% of all the CO2 is captured there. Like, no shot. Yeah. It is one of the world's largest intact temperate rainforests where some 800-year-old trees call home. Environmental experts view the Tongass as a key to preserving biodiversity and to mitigating climate change. The protections reinstated by President Biden were first established in 2001 by former President Clinton before former President Trump stripped the protections in 2020. The protections are called the roadless rule, and several state politicians argued that reinstating them would be a huge loss for Alaska's economy. The author speaks to a man named Gordon Chu, a co-owner of Tenakee Logging Company, a small family-owned business in the area. He said lumber jobs have declined in the Tongass National Forest over the past three decades. But he said that this is because of factors such as rising fuel prices for transporting timber from an isolated Alaska and not due to the roadless rule. Yeah, you know, I I think that in certain areas, it's kind of easy to play political theater and say, hey, this is really impacting our economy. Here's why. Cherry pick statistics and show that, you know, the Alaskan logging industry is declining and say that it's because there's no road that's going through here to make transportation easier. Talking to someone who actually makes their livelihood from that industry and having them say that, no, it's more because of the rising fuel costs and (laughs) doesn't really have anything to do with the roadless rule. Yeah. You know, I I think like that's really important because there's going to be people who, who don't read these first person accounts and just go off what state officials are saying. And they're going to think that by not having a road here, you know, it's, it's really hurting the state's economy. In reality, it's, it's, you know, it's probably partially because of that. I'm sure having a, a cleaner cut through offsets the rising fuel prices. But if you were doing fine before rising fuel prices, you know, it's hard to blame it on something that's been in effect since 2001. Yeah, here's a guy who should 100% have a conflict of interest. And here he is saying something in the complete opposite of what you'd expect out of his mouth. His business is directly affected by this. And he's saying it's more so because of rising fuel prices rather than Mm -hmm. not having a road going through here or or whatever it is. You think his revenue would not increase by them putting a road in or whatever, how many ever roads in a hundred percent. So this is like a a dead giveaway that, that it is uh, other factors, not, not just the, the roadless rule. Yeah, and honestly, good on good on Gordon Chu for being honest instead of taking that moment to be like, oh yeah, it's destroying my business. Mm-hmm. No, he took took the moment to be honest, and you know, it's people like that that you kind of hope get rewarded. So good on you, Chu. Yeah, I hope that the Tenneke Logging Company does does very well for themselves. Agreed. 
Joel Jackson, who we mentioned in the beginning of the article, celebrated the rule change with the protections being reinstated and added that he would not feel relieved until such protections are made permanent, a move he said could require congressional approval. Making the protections permanent could be his next battle. And that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. We are going to be back after the weekend for our monthly Monday mini-sode. Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod and follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all of our music. Nick, where can people hear more of your tunes? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo was made by Kaylee Vietz. Have a great weekend, everyone. Nick, I'll see you on Saturday. Everyone else will catch you right here on Monday. Woo! Peace! Peace!